proof that anyone can have a sports show. Wow. <laughs> Electric booyah base right from Jump Street. Adam Crowley. What's up, man? On ESPN Pittsburgh. Antonio Brown is at Steelers camp, which means he is not dead the way I thought he was before. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call, or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Tell your kids, tell your wife, we're doing radio up in here. Yeah, I thought AB was dead. That was the rumor, at least. We hadn't seen him in a while. He wasn't talking to the media. He wasn't out on the practice field. He wasn't there for Friday Night Lights signing autographs. So the rumor was no AB. He's dead. Oh, no. But he's not. He's out here. And the Steelers will be fine. AB will be fine. And what I've heard, the rumor around St. Vincent College is it's just a quad injury. And the thought process is Antonio Brown needed to not be here at St. Vincent College. Because if he was, he was going to want to go out there on the field. And he was going to want to run around. And he was going to want to practice. And that's what he did the first day he got hurt. He was on the field, and although he wasn't practicing, he was running around. Steelers didn't want him doing that. That's why I think he hasn't been around. The Buckos lost last night. They can't buy a flipping hit right now. They can't buy a flipping run. And they go to Colorado where they didn't score. How does that happen? How do you go to Colorado and not put anything up? They were due to come down to earth. The offense was due to slow down, but the offense should not slow down to a halt. The offense should not look the way that it did yesterday. It should not look the way that it did on Sunday against the Cardinals. And the Pirates are now five and a half games back in the wild card. They are very much on the outside looking in. They have six teams they've got to catch. They ain't making the playoffs this year. But we'll get into why that shouldn't matter as much as you want it to matter in a few moments. Jason Rollison's going to join us coming up at 4.20 here on the Crowley Show. He from Bucks Dugout and the Locked On Pirates podcast. Musgrove is good. Last night was his 11th start of the season for the Pirates. It was just his sixth start that he pitched at least seven innings. But he consistently goes seven-plus more than anyone else in the rotation. And if you want to go by percentage, Musgrove's gone seven-plus in 55% of his starts as compared to the next closest tie-on, which is 19%. One of the reasons why the bullpen early in the season wasn't good enough is because the starters weren't going long enough. And that's one of the big problems that this baseball team has right now is the starters don't go long enough to get to that very good back end of the bullpen. Nova, 15% of his starts go 7-plus. Williams, 10%. Kingham, 9%. And then Cool, 6%. That's not good enough. Musgrove can eat innings. Archer can eat innings. He's pitched 194 innings or more in each of the last four seasons. It's not going to happen this year for him. But he's an innings eater. The future looks good. This year, not so much. The Pirates traded for Adaini Echevarria yesterday. That's a move that good teams make. He's a bottom-of-the-roster piece, but he's better than what they have. Sean Rodriguez means a lot to the clubhouse, but he's been atrocious. He's hitting 160. What more do you need to see from him? He's not the same player he was before that car accident. 
He's not the same guy he was when he was hitting bombs and playing good defense for the Pirates in the wild card season in 2015. You got to say goodbye. The Pirates resemble a real baseball team if they cut Sean Rodriguez. That's what good baseball teams do. They cut the dead weight. They cut the bad 25th guy from the roster. And I feel bad for Sean Rod. Everything he's endured the last two years, it cannot have been easy. Uh, You almost die. Your family almost dies in a car crash. You're not the same player when you come back from said car crash. It's not easy. You shouldn't boo the guy. I feel terrible saying to cut him. But either way, he's going to make about a million and a half the rest of the year. And he's still going to be able to live, you'd think, fairly comfortably. So I'll feel bad for him to an extent. But real baseball teams cut that guy. Real baseball teams bring in a Dini Echeverria, and they say, you know what, you're our 25th man guy. You're better than Sean Rod. You're more useful. We're going to use you. And the Pirates have done a lot of real baseball team-type things of late. Trading for Chris Archer, giving up two prospects, two guys who had cracked the major leagues. That's a real baseball thing to do. For real. And if they bring in this guy, Danny Hechevaria, which they have, and get rid of Sean Rod, that's another thing that I think you could say the Pirates did that resembles a real baseball team. For years, they don't do things that real baseball teams do. They do things that the Pirates do, but the Pirates don't operate like the rest of Major League Baseball. Like last year, getting rid of Juan Nicasio for 600 freaking thousand dollars that's not even what other small market teams try to do. So the Pirates... They're moving in the right direction. They're giving me faith that they actually get it. And getting rid of Sean Rod, as meaningless as it is, as much as it's not going to affect their playoff chances this year, it's still something that I think needs to be done in good faith for the organization, for the guys in the clubhouse, and for the baseball fans in Pittsburgh. Now, the clubhouse is going to hurt. They do like the guy, but I think that they'll respect the fact that you bring in a better player and you get rid of the worst player. I have heard a couple of people say, well, you can't get rid of Sean Rod because he's a glue guy. He's a leader. Guys who hit 160 aren't leaders. Guys who hit 160 are expendable. Look at the Steelers. Who's their biggest leader? It's probably Ben Roethlisberger. Why? He's yeah, a quarterback who won two Super Bowls. He's going to throw for 4,000 yards this year. Pretty damn good. On the defense, oh, yeah, it's Cam Hayward, the guy who had 12 sacks last year. Brett Kiesel wasn't a leader when he was running down and covering kickoffs on special teams. He became a leader when he was a pro bowler. That's what real teams do. Real teams have good players that turn into leaders. And if a guy has 40 home runs and 120 RBI and is a douchebag, I don't care. That guy's a leader because he leads to wins. It's more important to lead to wins than to lead some young man from the shower to his locker whenever you're whispering nice things in his ear. Uh, forget about the leadership aspect and start realizing that real baseball teams get rid of guys like Sean Rodriguez. We'll talk more about this with Jason Rawlison coming up in 13 minutes on the Crowley Show. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. The Bucks aren't going to make the playoffs, but they do have real direction now. Finally. You go back a month, And I thought the Pirates were going to trade Freeze. I thought the Pirates were going to trade Mercer. I thought the Pirates were going to trade Josh Harrison. And you certainly didn't think they were going to add anybody or subtract a Meadows or a Glass now from this team. And you kind of thought that next year was going to suck just as bad as this year, if not worse. 
And you thought the year after that was going to suck more than that year. And you thought the Pirates were going to go into a legit nosedive rebuild. Well, now they don't have to. Now they haven't. And even if they don't make the playoffs this year, they're still moving in the right direction. The Pirates are still giving you something to be optimistic about. Now, they could also become sellers in the waiver period if they fall behind even more in the wild card race. They're five and a half games back right now. But getting rid of a David Freeze, getting rid of a Josh Harrison, getting rid of a Jordy Mercer if you're seven and a half, eight games, nine games back in the wild card is something they should do. Again, that's what a real baseball team would do. Get assets for guys that you're not going to bring back, guys that aren't all that valuable to you. It's smart business. If you have a bad week or two here, then you'll play yourself out of it. Kramer and Newman could then come up in September, and you could have a look at what next year's lineup could be, and next year's lineup with Kramer and Newman, with the guys they have there now, with Dickerson, with Marte, with Polanco, with Bell, with Moran, with Diaz, I think that that is a playoff-caliber roster or one that you can at least look at and say, you know what? They've got the talent. You at least look at it and you say, we have something to be excited about. A month ago, you didn't have that. So the Pirates have given you a couple of things this year. They've renewed your faith by getting Chris Archer and Keone Kella. And they've also competed. They won 11 straight games. They pulled themselves into the wild card race. And they've built their future back up to where you can finally be optimistic. So whether they make the playoffs or not this year, I think this year has already been a success. What say you? You can get after me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. I was thinking a lot about preseason football today because I'm a dork and I host a radio show on an AM station from 4 o'clock until 7. And I thought, why in the hell would anybody want to go to these games? And it's not necessarily a new take. It's not a hot take. But seriously, why do you go? (laughs) Why are there going to be 45,000 people at Heinz Field whenever they open up their season in three weeks? Why? Because you can't get tickets to regular season games? Okay, fine. I get that aspect. But, yo, you're going to see six lowering the helmet penalties. That's how many we saw in the Hall of Fame game. The refs are trying to enforce the rules and get them right themselves. Coaches are trying to see what back end of the roster guys can do. It's all about practice for the refs, for the team, for the coaches. It's all about finding out what you've got. So are you going to practice cheering? Is that why you're going to go to a preseason game? And then the NFL charges the same prices for the tickets. That is ass. It's BS. Don't pay it. Don't go. Don't go to Heinz Field and drink beers and watch preseason football when you could do it in your house for 12 bucks. Uh, go to your local beer distributor. You can get a nice sixer and sit on your couch and pee where you want to pee and do whatever you want to do in terms of food, and you don't have to go and watch that crappy product. And the thing that bothers me the most is that the NFL is okay with using preseason as a way to figure out the rules. We're going to overcall the helmet penalty. We're going to overcall this. We're going to overcall that. We're going to try to show you that these are our points of emphasis. And okay, that helps the players. And okay, it helps the coaches. There's no doubt about that. But I think training camp practices should be used for that. I think scrimmages should be used for that. Not preseason games. Because if you're going to sell preseason games as if they're an extension of the regular season, and you're going to charge the same prices for the tickets, you're going to charge the same prices for the concessions, then you sure as hell better give me something that is actually somewhat entertaining on the field. I'm looking forward to watching Mason Rudolph drop back a bunch of times. That's exciting to me. 
I'm looking forward to seeing James Conner touch the football. I'm excited about seeing James Washington, but how late are we going to be up watching that? Game starts at 7? Going to be over by midnight? Maybe? With the way that they're going to be calling these games? And I'll be doing post-game show? Probably not going to get home till 5 o'clock in the morning? All right, there's some exaggeration there in both ways. But you get my point. If the NFL wants people to come to these games and they want to treat these games as a practice for the referees and the players and the coaches and everyone, then they should at least cut ticket prices. My solution to make things a little bit better, make scrimmages mandatory. Make every team have to do a scrimmage with another team. The Steelers did it with Detroit a couple of years ago. A couple of years before that, they did it with Buffalo. Make that mandatory and start enforcing the rules then. Enforce the rules in training camp. Make that the priority and don't friggin' do it during the games when people are tuning in to watch. 412-922-2874. My dude, Mark Madden, is downstairs. He works on floor three. He's not here at Steelers training camp. God, he would never set his foot here. He doesn't want to watch the games. He doesn't want to watch what's going on. He doesn't want to learn. All he wants to do is bash the team when the team does not need bashing in the preseason. We've spent a lot of time talking about the distractions factor. We spent a bunch of time talking about Antonio Brown needs to calm down and Le'Veon Bell needs to show up and stop sticking his face in cottage cheese strippers' butts. I get all that. But there comes a point where you're just saying stuff to say stuff. And Mark Caballi is going to join us coming up at 5 today to discuss that. But here are a couple of Madden's recent tweets. Besides Ben, this group of Steelers hasn't won a thing or even come close. That doesn't seem to mean much in the era of participation trophy. Pittsburgh is either lit or a regular season town or maybe both. Hashtag just have fun. Mark's great. He's good at getting the people riled up, and he's succeeded here in getting me riled up. Who's okay with that? Who? No one. Straw man. Steelers fans are pissed that the Steelers haven't won with Antonio Brown and with Le'Veon Bell. Who's not mad? Everyone's mad. Every Steelers fan you talk to says you can't waste the prime of these guys. And then on the flip side, he also continued to say, oh, Tomlin's a real good coach, but it's fair to say his teams have underachieved in the playoffs. And it's fair to discuss why. Everyone's discussed why, except for Mark. Mark doesn't discuss why in terms of what actually happened. He discusses why in terms of his alternate universe, which is where it's all about the distraction, 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 not about what actually happened. In 2014, Le'Veon Bell's hurt. You're not winning a playoff game with Ben Tate. You're not. And if you are, it's going to be on Ben Roethlisberger's back. You know what happened there? He threw two interceptions. You can look every year and say what happened, and it's not all about distraction. Last year, you can have it. Last year's a disgrace. Last year, you shouldn't be losing to Jacksonville. shouldn't be giving up 45 points at home. Ever, 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 ever. That should not happen. But apart from that, there are legitimate reasons, not excuses, why the Steelers didn't get it done. Again, though, that being said, Steelers fans don't look at it that way. Most Steelers fans do look at it as underachieving. So, Mark... Quit blowing down that straw man. Coming up next, Jason Rollison to talk about the Bucks and their recent losing ways, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. What the hell happened? He'll tell us, and we'll talk about Adani Echeverria, because that's sexy. Saying his name's sexy, Echeverria. It's a Crowley Show. It's the Adam Crowley Show. This is the kind of thing that just tickles my ball. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. 
Corrado tweets at underscore Adam Crowley, so spot on in years past, the real reason why the Steelers have been balanced out of the playoffs early the last few seasons, it's not attributed to distractions. Let me be clear, I'm not giving the Steelers a pass on the distractions. They don't help. They can only hurt. That being said, they don't hurt as much as the defense being bad. Uh, they don't hurt as much as the quarterback, who is your two-time Super Bowl winner, turning the ball over twice and it leading to 14 points for Jacksonville. That's not about distraction. That's about not playing well enough. And I just don't think the distractions add up to not playing well enough. I think they stand alone. Again, the distractions don't help. They can only hurt. They don't hurt as much as going out there and playing good fundamental football. We pause on the Steelers for a moment here. We'll get back to them coming up at 440. Right now, though, we talk Bucks with our buddy Jason Rollison from the Bucks from Bucks Dugout and from the Locked On Pirates podcast. Jason, how are you today? Good, Adam. How are you? I'm good, man. Tell me everything you know about a Danny Echeverria. Okay, he's a good defender and a light hitter. At the end. Uh, that's pretty much pretty much the book on him. Uh, listen, he's a spectacular defender. I think he ranks. Uh, in the top five in defensive run save at the shortstop position over the last three or four years, um, definitely an upgrade as for the bench, of course. And you know, if, uh, some people might think, and I happen to be one of them, that his defense is so much better than Jordy Mercer's that maybe he could be a starter for the team. That probably won't happen. But definitely a great bench piece that the Pirates are getting for really pennies on the dollar. I think something like one hundred sixty thousand dollars for the rest of the season was the figure I read. So. Uh, great signing. You can't really follow anything about it. No, absolutely not. I think it's something that good baseball teams do, and the Pirates have made a lot of those moves of late. I wonder if the other shooter drop, though, will be that finally we will see Sean Rodriguez get DFA'd. And I don't have anything against Sean Rod, the guy. He seems like a good dude. He's been through a hell of a lot the last two years. No question about that. But he's just not helping the team right now. And, yeah, he's got position flexibility, but that's about the only thing he's providing to the team. Yeah, I agree with you. And the Pirates will have to make a 25-man roster move to get uh, Hecaberry on the active 25-man roster. But there are 40-man slots open uh, since Chad Cole went on the 60-day DL. So they won't have to make like a they won't have to make a DFA for Sean Rodriguez, right. but they will have to send someone down. Uh, I would be a proponent of doing the same thing that you're suggesting is DFAing Rodriguez. Look, 2016 was a great year for him, but it was yeah. the definition of an outlier by by any well-accepted definition for any player, probably in recent Pirates history at the very least. So I would not hold on any hope of suddenly, you know, a hot month for Rodriguez or anything like that. He is what he is at this point. I think you can get creative and maybe play Plonko in center field if if Martin needs a break. Uh, we got to remember going into the season, Hurdle had said Rodriguez will be a backup center fielder if needed. Um, so it would require some creativity, but I would much rather see guys like Jordan Luplo, guys like Jose Azuna stay up rather than Rodriguez. When you watch the team, it's obvious that they are not good defensively, particularly in the infield. How much could Echeverria help overall with the infield defense? Uh, would you play him primarily at shortstop? Would you give him some time playing second base? I would play him primarily at shortstop. Uh, it's such an important position. Uh, kind of baseball 101 to put your best defender there. Um, but, you know, there would be a case to be made for, um, you know, when Josh Harrison gets in these ruts where he doesn't really give you much with the bat, um, you can put Hecaria there because Jordy Mercer will, at the very least, grind out at bats for you. Um, so there's an argument to be made for that, but I would primarily play him at shortstop the majority of the time he's going to be on the field. And how much do you think Clint Hurdle's going to play him? Because that's the, that's the real question, I suppose. 
Well, Hurdle loves veteranosity, and Hegeberry uh, has some of that. He's been around, he's been around a while. Um, so there should be some built-in trust there, especially when you look at these these def- defensive highlights from the guy. Um, so I think he'll see a fair amount. I think he'll be used primarily and, and frequently as a late-inning defensive option for sure. Um, and I think he'll sprinkle some starts in there. I really do. I think Hurdle will take him pretty well. Jason Rollison joining us here. On the Crowley Show, I guess it's not surprising that the Pirates have tailed off offensively. What is surprising is just how much they've tailed off offensively. When you put up that kind of output last night at Coors Field, that starts to make you panic a little bit. Whenever you're five and a half games out of the wild card, you have to put an end to this, and you have to put an end to it now. Uh, What has changed? Why have they so dramatically fallen off the face offensively? Yeah, it's pretty abhorrent the way they've they've used the bat the past you know, two weeks just to throw a time frame out there. Uh, number one, let's start with uh, I did a piece on Colin Moran on com today about how he's just been in a very slow swoon over the past two months. You're really getting nothing from the third base uh, position except for David Fries, who's having a turn-back-the-clock kind of moment for the team. Um, we talk about Mercer. We talk about Harrison, who, you know, can get into these bad stretches where he refuses to take a ball and uh, just swings at anything he can swing at. Um, since about Josh Bell went on the DL, um, it's been kind of patchwork over there. I do like what they've done with Cervelli, getting him at first base and getting both his bat and Diaz's bat in the lineup at the same time. I think that's a smart play, especially against left-handed pitching. Um, and then the outfield, you know, you still have Blanco, who is, you know, I think no one can argue with what he's done for the team the past two months. But I think the 11-game winning streak showed you what happened when the team is firing on all cylinders. And now that they're back into a lull, it kind of shows you exactly the level of the talent on this club. Pretty pretty good talent level, but if it's not producing, it doesn't matter how talented you are. No, it doesn't. And I think when you look at a guy like Polanco, he kind of encompasses all of that. When he's hot, he can carry a baseball team. And when he's not, it's, it's just awful. Uh, you'd like to see more of the – you'd like to see obviously more consistency, but you'd like to see more of him just playing average baseball. Yeah, I mean, with Polanco, the thing that everyone points to this year is that adjustment he made to get off the plate and kind of uh, readjust his approach. What I'm hoping to see from Polanco is when he starts to get in these lulls to pull himself out of it quicker. And no one's going to fault any major league player except for you know, every major league player goes through a lull like this. There's no The league isn't full of Mike Trouts or Mookie Betts guys. <laughs> the, the league is full of these guys who can have peaks and valleys. The important thing is to get out of those valleys much quicker Right, And, you know, I have to put some of the onus on the coaching staff as well. The guys like Jeff Branson, the hitting coach, and Clint Hurdle have to recognize when this is happening and maybe push him to make adjustments sooner rather than later. So that's what I like to see, just get out of the valley sooner. There was a bright spot last night, and it was Joe Musgrove, who has been very good for the Pirates. But it also pointed out one of the Pirates' biggest flaws. Uh, Musgrove has gone 7-plus in 55% of his starts but the next closest pirate is Jamison Tyon at 19%. And I'd imagine, I haven't looked at it, but I'd imagine we're seeing a lot of that around Major League Baseball with the more specialized bullpens and what we now know about hitters uh, being able to be more effective against starters uh, the second or third time through the lineup. But that being said, uh, that big of a drop-off does, to me, signal that there are problems there, obviously. Yeah, and the weird thing about the way the Pirates approach that third time to the order penalty, they do it selectively. Um, they kind of alluded to, you know, back when Tyron was struggling about a month and a half, two months ago, 
you would hear Neil Huntington say that the splits between Tyon, the second and third times of the order, are so drastic that they just do not pitch him third times of the order. So he kind of, you know, through the curtain down there. Then, like you said, you see guys like Musgrove who, you know, as long as they're pitching well, they don't, that's not so much of a consideration. I like to see some more consistency from the Pirates in that regard. If you're going to play the percentages, then play the percentages. Yes. You have this bullpen that you've invested in. You went out and got Kella. You have a pretty strong, at least four or five guys in the bullpen. Maybe the bridges into those guys isn't that strong. Uh, but just pick a direction and go with it. And But, of course, if you can take seven innings from a guy like Musgrove and the other guys in the rotation, you'll do that every time. I said this at the beginning of the show, but uh, if the Pirates have a bad week or a bad couple of weeks here and totally fall out of the wild card race, I wouldn't be all that surprised if the Pirates went to the in the waiver period and started to move on from the David Freezes of the world and the Jordy Mercers of the world and Josh Harrison. Would that surprise you? It would absolutely not surprise me, and I would welcome that if they continue to fall out of contention. I think they will end up falling out of contention, I hate to say it, because with the recent law they've been on, not only have they lost ground, but they've also let other teams overlap them. Right. Uh, the Cardinals and also the Nationals, who everyone kind of left for dead, are suddenly ahead of the Pirates. So we have more, less control over your own destiny. So if it gets to be like a week before the August deadline, yeah, absolutely. There is no reason why you shouldn't do that. I'd like to see that happen if they're out of contention. Which of those teams right now would you give the nod to? Which, which team that's in the wild card race ahead of the Bucks do you think has the best chance to wind up winning the second wild card? Well, I'm still a believer in the Braves just because they are a little bit further ahead of the teams in the loss column, which is, you know, what can make or break this race. Um, I like the Braves. I do like the Nationals as well because that offense, if it can get itself together, is scary. Uh, we, we know Bryce Harper, of course, but also the guys like Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner, who's kind of turning it around. And they have the pitching, too, with, uh, with uh, Max Scherzer headlining the group, of course. So I think they can, they can really continue to get themselves together. They can really sneak in as well. So uh, I like the Braves and Nats, and you know the Cardinals. I think are are not quite expecting to be there. So it'll be interesting for sure. I think the fact that the Nationals got back in it shows you just how fluid this can be. Chris Archer, his first time out as a Pirate, not what you want to see. Although he did do some things, he he did show that he can strike guys out. Um, do you think that was just because he was a little nervous, he's playing in front of a crowd, that you're not getting in Tampa at this time of the year, uh, the playoff race? Do you think he'll uh, eventually warm up to the task? Well, I think it would be very naive to think that that didn't have anything to do with the nerves and whatnot. But I also think uh, the pitch selection was a little off for me. I found out later that Ray Searage kind of told Archer, we want to see your fastball and slider almost exclusively. Uh, you know, Don't worry about your changeup and – you kind of saw that the slider wouldn't necessarily play very well if the fastball location wasn't there. So that's what I'm looking to see out of the second start coming up is to see if he can dial in that fastball location and get that slider more effective uh, just, just as a result. Um, but, look, the guy is obviously a huge talent, and uh, they'll get his thing figured out for sure. I think it was just a blip on the radar, like you said, mainly due to emotion. Really appreciate the time, as always, Jason, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. You got it. Thanks. All right, there he goes. That's Jason Rollison. The Pirates playing tonight with Jamison Tyon on the bump. And, man, you need him to be the guy. You need him to be the guy today. you got to stop the bleeding. If you're going to get back in this thing, you can't go on this prolonged streak that they've now gone on these last ten games. Uh, they've completely gone the opposite way of where they were in the 11-game winning streak. And you don't want to fool yourself into believing you're a good baseball team whenever everything's working on all cylinders. And you don't want to over 
react whenever your baseball team's not playing well for a 10-game stretch. That being said, the margin for error is so thin right now that every game is so important that you need a guy like Jamison Tyone to come out and give you seven strong, strike out eight or nine, put some zeros up there, especially with the offense not playing as well as you'd want. I'd like Cervelli playing first base. I like Diaz playing catcher. Whenever you don't have Bell in the lineup, I think that that lengthens the lineup. That being said, we didn't see any production from anybody yesterday. And if that's going to be the case, you need Tyon to keep you in it until the offense can pick it back up. You need the pitching to continue to be strong. And you've got Tyon tonight, but you've also got Chris Archer tomorrow. You had your best three guys, Musgrove, Archer, and Tyon going in three straight games. Musgrove did everything he could yesterday, didn't deserve to lose that baseball game. Let's see if Jamison Tyon can get better luck tonight. Coming up next, some are still talking distractions for these Pittsburgh Steelers because of Juju Smith-Schuster's recent quote-unquote antics. I think we're taking it a little too far this time. I'll explain. It's the Crowley Show. He's not the brightest guy in the room, but he is the cheapest. I love Lamp. I love Lamp. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. I'm live at St. Vincent College in Lake Trobe, and I feel like I've gained 55 pounds over the course of camp. I weighed myself. It's only been three. But I'm a small guy. It feels like a lot. And all my pants are a little bit tighter. And then I went to the wedding, and, oh, God, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. And I'm trying to sweat it all out. Every day I bring Wes food. What a nice guy I am from the cafeteria. And that's, I don't know, probably a half a mile walk from where they are at the tent, to the cafeteria, whenever you walk the way that you're supposed to walk. I could walk right across the field. Probably sink into it, though. It's a friggin' swamp out there today. That's why they're practicing on the turf field. Anyway, as I am at Steelers training camp, I've actually watched the team. And what I've seen is Juju Smith-Schuster practicing pretty well, and at times being distracted at times getting caught up in the social media game and it happened last year to him too last year he's getting his bike stolen when he gets his bike stolen he posted on social media and he gets the bike and it's a whole thing and we know he had the 97 yard touchdown against Detroit and he became a star and Wes and I were talking at the bar the other day as we we're prone to do and Wes said is there a player on the team other than Antonio Brown that is more popular right now than Juju Smith-Schuster. And I don't think there is. I think it's a really good point. And a lot of it has to do with the social media. He is a nice guy. He's perceived to be a nice guy. He was the youngest player in the National Football League last year when he came in. Uh, he lived with his entire family in a one-bedroom place in California. And that story endeared himself to the fans. And, look, he's getting attention, really, for the first time in his life. He's getting attention as a superstar for the first time ever. And that's going to go to your head a little bit if you let it in. I think he has a tad. He ran the wrong route the other day, and Ben Roethlisberger let him have it. Randy Feekner was right there. He let him have it. I saw this all go down, and Mark Madden and some other members of the Pittsburgh media have jumped on this and said the Steelers have a culture of being a team that is distracted, a culture of a team that is not buttoned up, one that is perennially underachieved with Bell and Brown around, and 
Yes and no. I think if you're trying to leap to that conclusion because Juju Smith-Schuster was taking some pictures on the sideline and ran one wrong route, I think you're doing it wrong. Antonio Brown will run the wrong route at times. It's going to happen. James Washington will run the wrong route. Eli Rogers, Darius Hayward Bay, it's going to happen. Sometimes you get your signals crossed. That's why you have training camp, so you can cross your T's and dot your I's, so you can make sure you're on the same page. It happens even to people who aren't distracted on social media. Now, distractions are never good. Antonio Brown filming the team in the locker room, Facebook Live in it, after they defeated the Chiefs in the divisional round playoff game, that's not a good look. That's bad. You can't do that. Antonio Brown throwing a Gatorade cooler on the sideline. You don't want to see that. You don't want to be showing up your teammates, although it's emotional. I can at least understand that one a little bit more. Le'Veon Bell rattling things off. Martavis Bryant requesting a trade. All those things are distractions. There's no doubt in my mind that the Steelers have had too many of them. The question is, has it actually affected their on-the-field performance? I can't answer that. The Steelers have flamed out in the playoffs earlier than anybody would like over the last handful of years. Since they started back in the playoffs in 2014, they have not done enough. You would have liked to see at least a Super Bowl trip with all the talent they have on this roster, and it hasn't happened. But the people who don't want to actually break down what's gone on at the time, they will always point to distractions here, distractions there. The locker room wasn't tight enough here. They didn't have the leadership here. Blah, 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 blue. F leadership, F the locker room. Go out there and take care of business on the field. And they haven't. But I think there are reasons for every year that they haven't. It's overgeneralizing to say distractions over the last four years have caused their early playoff flameouts. 2014, Le'Veon Bell, he is hurt the game before the playoffs. Steelers needed to win it so they could win the AFC North. He gets hurt against the Bengals. They pull Ben Tate off the flipping street, and he's your starting running back. Ben Roethlisberger gets sacked five times. He throws two interceptions. Why? Because they can't run the damn ball. Ben Tate has always been just a guy, apart from a couple of seasons in Houston, and you're playing a great defense in Baltimore. That's why they lost. If you have Le'Veon Bell and you're able to run the football, then the passing game opens up. Ben Roethlisberger doesn't get sacked five times. You don't wind up getting beat by 14 points at home. I don't think it had anything to do with distraction. That had to do with bad luck and injury. Next, 2015. Steelers go to Cincinnati, and they get maimed. They get the bleep beaten out of them. Vontez Perfect pile drives Ben Roethlisberger under the ground. He separates his shoulder. He comes back in the game against Denver. He could throw, but in considerable pain. Antonio Brown gets decapitated. You can't play wide receiver without your head. Doesn't work that way. It's hard. So he's not playing. D'Angelo Williams, also hurt. Le'Veon Bell, also hurt. Steelers go to Denver, and they play the Super Bowl champion, eventual, Denver Broncos, and almost beat them, and would have beat them if not for third-string running back, Fitz Toussaint fumbling the football as the Steelers marched into scoring territory. If it's D'Angelo Williams, probably doesn't fumble. If it's Le'Veon Bell, he sure as bleep does not fumble. Steelers win that game, they go on to the AFC Championship, and who knows what happens in New England if they are healthy. But they weren't. Distractions? No. Injuries and bad luck? Oh, hell yes. Go to the next year. AFC Championship game against New England. There are some coaching decisions there that I did not love. Going 
zone all game long for the most part against Tom Brady, who's going to pick it apart, not the way to go. Poor game plan. But you're not going to get anything going on the offensive side without Le'Veon Bell. And, oh, yeah, guess what? Le'Veon Bell got hurt. Now, this all speaks to Le'Veon Bell either being fragile or being in the wrong place at the wrong time, but that does not speak to distraction. You're not going into New England and beating that football team when you're a running-based squad without the guy who got you there. Steelers were 4-5 and five at one point that season, and they handed the ball off to Le'Veon Bell a bunch down the stretch and wound up giving him 146 yards a game, and that's what carried them to the AFC Championship game. And when he's hurt, guess what? You're not the same team. You're not close to the same team. Distraction? No. Injury? Yeah. At the wrong time? Bad luck? Yeah. That's not underachieving. That's terrible friggin' luck. Three years in a row, Le'Veon Bell's hurt. One of those years, Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown are hurt. The first time that it happened, you have Ben Tate, who wasn't even a rostered player, who was starting for you that next week. You want to talk about underachieving? That's not what that is. That is bad flipping luck. Last year, you could say what you want. Distractions, I've never seen a team have more over the course of a season. It was like an episode of Guiding Light every week, and in fact, it made my job real flipping easy. Monday, we talk about the game. Tuesday, well, Ben Roethlisberger probably mouthed off to crook and phony. Okay, so let's go to Wednesday when James Harrison's falling asleep in a meeting. Thursday, Martavis Bryant, he asks for a trade. Friday, Le'Veon Bell's talking about retirement. Saturday, Le'Veon Bell's not showing up for a walkthrough. Then Sunday, bam. I mean, that was the whole season, it felt like. Oh, I didn't even bring up the anthem controversy. There were so many damn things that happened last year that you couldn't help but think, okay, that's why they lost to Jacksonville. But then you think back through the season, and when those things were going on, the Steelers, all they did was win. 13-3, and despite all that nonsense. So if they were able to go 13-3, and they were able to have their best season, win-loss-wise, since 2005, and their best before that since 2001, and you're going to tell me that distractions are the reason why they lost the playoff game? No, I'm not going to buy it. They lost the playoff game because Ben Roethlisberger turned the football over a couple of times and the defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. That's why. Not distraction, but because they weren't good enough on the field. Now, does that mean that they still didn't underachieve last year? Oh, hell no. They did. You can't lose to Jacksonville at home. If you're going to lose to anyone in the playoffs, it sure as bleep better be the Super Bowl champion or the New England Patriots. Most of the time, those things overlap. Last year, you're okay with it if you go on the road to New England in the AFC Championship game and you lose because at least you're losing to the GOAT. At least you're losing to Belichick. At least you're losing to that franchise. And it sucks, but you can at least wrestle with that. When you lose to Jacksonville and Blake Bortles at home and give up 45, mm -mm, not good enough. So they did underachieve. But Mark Madden and others are overgeneralizing. And it's not fair to Tomlin and Brown and Bell. The way you do it is you break it down year by year. Now, history is not going to do that. And the national media is not going to remember it that way. They're going to think they made the playoffs five times with that crew and didn't win a Super Bowl. That's not good enough. And they'll be right. But they'll also have not done their homework enough. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. You can tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Madden tweeted, besides Ben, this group of Steelers hasn't won a thing or even come close. That doesn't seem to mean much in the era of participation trophy. Pittsburgh is either lit, which is what 
Juju Smith-Schuster tweeted out the other day, or a regular season town, or maybe both, hashtag just have fun. I'm one of the people who always sticks up for what the Steelers have done over the last four years because I do look year by year by year. But the majority of people in Pittsburgh don't do that. The majority of the people in Pittsburgh, Mark, think the way you do. It's a straw man argument. I don't see people sticking up for the Steelers and saying, oh, these distractions are great. Hell no. you have any idea how many people post on Facebook and hit me up on Twitter and call the show and say, trade Le'Veon Bell. You don't need his ass. He's not showing up. He's not a team player. He's a distraction. We don't need him. That's the Steelers fan that I'm used to. The Steelers fan who doesn't want to put up with the nonsense. So to suggest that people are okay with it is wrong. And to suggest that they are perennially underachieving is also wrong. They did last year. I don't think they have the last four because the circumstances dictate they're kind of effed. In 2011, I think the Penguins got a pass whenever Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin weren't playing. They didn't beat Tampa Bay in the playoff series. Now, some people are still pissed about it because they had a three games to one series lead. But when you don't have Crosby and you don't have Malkin and Mark Letestu is on your top power play, eh, eh, you got to give him a pass. And I'm sure Mark did then. I'll choose to give the Steelers a pass in three out of the last four years. Last year, though, not so much. Coming up next, we'll discuss that with Mark Cabali. Well, said Mark Mad. Is Juju a distraction? Is Juju having a bad training camp? Is Juju running the wrong routes? And what's he looking forward to seeing on Thursday night when preseason opens? It's Mark Cabali. It's Adam Crowley. That's next. ESPN Pittsburgh.